The founding was in many ways a reaction against the elements and the idea of democratic government that had emerged in America since the war against Britain had been won and independence had been gained in the early 1780s. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, a podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Welcome to America Explained, the podcast about American politics and foreign policy for an international audience. Since our last episode, it was the 4th of July, the holiday which celebrates the Declaration of Independence and the founding of America. As it does pretty much every year, this produced a torrent of media commentary about the founding and the founding fathers and what they thought about this or that contemporary issue. And as a historian, I often find so much of this discussion frustrating or worse than frustrating. So I wanted to use today's episode to dissect some of the ways that people talk about the Founding Fathers today, and then counter this by talking about how much the story of the first generation of Americans is much more complicated and nuanced than many people assume or that they want to assume when they're using the Founders to try to make some point in today's politics. As always, it's a real pleasure to have you listening to America Explained. If you like the podcast, we really hope that you'll tell a friend. Please also consider subscribing to our newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. If you subscribe to the newsletter, then you'll receive several posts a week doing what America Explained does best, bringing you updates and analysis of American politics and foreign policy. I'd also like to recommend a new podcast called America a History, launched by the University of East Anglia. The hosts, as they say, have a dream to do US history more bigly than anyone before and make podcasts great again. And I really think that they're living up to that dream. Check out their recent episode on the Constitution for some more on the themes that we're exploring in this episode today. And again, you can find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So the incident that put the idea for this episode in my head was a tweet by Josh Hawley. That's the senator from Missouri, and he sent this tweet on the 4th of July. This tweet contained a quote that he attributed to Patrick Henry, who is one of the founding fathers, and that quote read, quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. End quote. Now, the only problem with this quote is that Patrick Henry never said this. So this quote actually comes from a biographer of Henry who was writing about him. People on Twitter pounced all over Hawley really quickly for making this basic mistake. But what's more serious even than Hawley's need to check his sources is that this quote actually gives a very erroneous idea of the role that religion played in the American founding. So I wanted to take this as kind of my starting point for this discussion today. Conservatives today often like to project back their own evangelical Christian beliefs onto the founders in order to back up their claim that Christianity should play a big part in American politics and law today. So like it's easier to argue for a ban on abortion under the Constitution if you can claim that the Constitution is a Christian document that holds every single life to be sacred, you know, even those of unborn fetuses. Liberals, on the other hand, often like to counter this argument by saying that the founders were not really practicing Christians at all, Christianity played little to no role in the founding of the United States, and so it should play little to no role in the American government today. This debate over the place of religion in the early republic is a good example of how discussions about the founders often go wrong. 
There's this huge tendency in these discussions to ignore the historical context under which the constitution was made in the late 18th century, and instead just see this history as kind of like new terrain on which we refight the same old contemporary battles that we're fighting today. In fact, there was a really wide variety of religious views and degrees of religious commitment among the founders. So some of them, like Alexander Hamilton, seem to have been fairly orthodox Christians. Others, like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Paine, endorsed what's often called deism. Deism is a form of religion which accepts the existence of God but rejects the rightfulness or the authority of any particular church. Because deism rejects the idea of divine revelation, it doesn't, or people who believe it, don't typically think that Jesus was the son of God or a messenger from God, and they think that questions of morality should be solved by rational thought, not by, you know, looking at the teachings of Jesus Christ. So there was this whole spectrum of opinions on religion among the founders. Some of the founders changed their views on religion quite radically during the course of their lives, so Thomas Jefferson started out more deist, but then he came further towards Orthodox Christianity later in his life. But at the same, so at the same time that you had all these different views of religion and views of Christianity, they were also in conversation with Enlightenment rationalism in the formation of the Constitution and the founding of America. So rationalism is this secular idea that human reason and not divine revelation are the best guide to constructing lasting political institutions and the best guide to figuring out what's moral and right in the world. So even though very few of the founders were actually deists, most of them conceived of the constitution as a secular document, even if they themselves were fairly orthodox Christians and they expected that the document would be used to govern a Christian people. But then, that doesn't mean that we can see the constitution as a product of some version of 21st century atheism, just like we can't view it as the product of today's evangelical Protestantism. So the First Amendment, for instance, which is about the separation of church and state, or at least it has a clause about the separation of church and state, this wasn't designed to keep the principles of Christianity away from the government, so much as it was to reassure believers in all these different types of Christianity which had existed in the American colonies, that no particular church would receive the blessing of the government and be used to oppress all the others, as had happened in England where the Anglican church was held to be the only true Christianity and, you know, throughout English history other forms of Christianity had been oppressed. But then, so, what's often the problem, like the bigger problem in these debates, is that people are trying to see if they can find some kind of timeless truths from the founding generation and then use them to guide action in the present. And this is misguided not just because the historical context of that generation was so different, so it shouldn't matter the founders were personally Christian even though they founded a government based on enlightenment rationalism, that doesn't tell us that today Christianity should play a big role in American government, it just tells us in that historical time period what it was that this group of people believed. But, you know, we also need to realize that the founders also disagreed with each other massively about almost every single important matter, and individual founders also changed their views on these matters over time. So they were, after all, they were just human beings. They weren't some kind of mythical demigods. They were human beings trying to make their way in an uncertain world and a dangerous world, and they came from radically different backgrounds and life experiences. So of course they were going to have different opinions on things and they were going to disagree with one another. One good example of this is the debate that the founders had over the roles and power of the president. So nowadays the president is the most visible and powerful figure in the American government, but actually, you know, America might not even have had 
a president at all if some of the founders had had their way. Because when the Constitutional Convention first met, so, you know, this first meeting of the founders to decide on the form that the federal government was going to take, some of its members didn't want there to be a president at all. They were really worried that any one individual couldn't be trusted with that sort of power and that over time he would accumulate too much power, you know, he would be able to use the powers of his office and use his wealth to establish a new tyranny, almost like a new monarchy. You know, the American Revolution had adopted as one of its goals to get rid of the English king, to become independent and no longer have a king. But some founders thought that if they established a presidency, then that would just become what one of them called, quote, a fetus of a monarchy. So over time, it would grow and grow and grow until it became just a new king that was going to oppress the people again. So some founders who hold these held these views actually wanted the executive branch to be led not by one person, but rather by a committee of people. And they thought that the members of that executive should be elected individually to prevent any one of them from having too much power. So that was one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, Alexander Hamilton favored the idea that American presidents should be elected, but then that once they'd been elected, they should actually serve in that position for life. So they would basically be elected monarchs, which was a form of government that did exist in parts of Europe at the time of the American Revolution. Hamilton wasn't too concerned about kings or, well, presidents becoming too powerful and presidents becoming like kings. Instead, he thought that the only way that a government could really work, that it could be a strong enough government and a formidable enough one to actually run the country effectively and get things done, that you needed a really powerful individual to do that. So he wasn't so concerned about having a really, really powerful president who was in some ways just like an elected monarch. Hamilton's proposals were rejected, but one of the main reasons that America ended up with a single and a fairly powerful president, so, you know, the reason why they went against the wishes of those people that didn't want a strong president, was because everybody at the convention, which came together to draft the Constitution, understood that George Washington would be the first president of America, and they trusted him as an individual not to abuse the power of the office, not to abuse the power of the presidency, and they hoped that he would set good precedents and, and set in place good practices for the future that would prevent the presidency from becoming too strong. So again, it was historical circumstance which played a really large role in these proceedings, and it meant that many of the founders would not have considered such a strong presidency appropriate under different circumstances. And many of them worried about what was going to happen in the future when George Washington passed from the scene and somebody else with less virtue and who was viewed with less reverence by the country came to take that office. This debate over the presidency was also just part of a much broader debate at the time of the founding over what we now call democracy, the role that the people should play in the American government. When people talk about the founders in a simplistic way, they often imply that they were committed Democrats, that right from the beginning, the whole mission of America has been to perfect a democratic form of governance. Now, the obvious objection to this is, of course, the existence of slavery. Many of the founders were slaveholders. They were certainly not committed to equal rights for blacks. Most of the generation um, of, of the founding in America believed that slavery was this kind of necessary evil that eventually was going to die out. They didn't believe that it was a particularly economic institution. They thought in the long term that slavery was just going to kind of go away on its own. But they were happy just to leave it in place for now and just kind of trust to the laws of economics and, you know, providence and the unfolding of history that slavery 
was eventually going to disappear. Now, it was only the emergence of cotton as a really, really productive crop in the American South that really turbocharged slavery, made it very, very obviously profitable institution that the American South came to base its identity around. But that wasn't the case at the time of the revolution, and, and most of the founders just had this kind of, you know, view of slavery that you could treat it with benign neglect and eventually it would go away. But they definitely didn't, you know, want to, or most of them didn't want to fight strongly and crusade to get rid of slavery. So this is obviously a really important point, which, which takes away from the democratic pretensions that get projected backwards onto the founders. I also want to talk about another point, which is also important, but I think it's less well known, which is that even as far as white citizens were concerned, the founding was in many ways a reaction against the elements and the idea of democratic government that had emerged in America since the war against Britain had been won and independence had been gained in the early 1780s. So what's hardly ever acknowledged in popular discussions of the founders is that nearly a whole decade passed between victory over the British in 1782 and the adoption of the constitution in 1789. During that period, the founders tried a form of government that was not the federal constitution, that was not the America that we eventually came to know um, from you know, the, the adoption of the constitution in 1789. They tried a different form of government that was called the Articles of Confederation. This was an idea idea where there wasn't really a strong federal government, there was a congress that had really no power or very little power, there wasn't an executive branch, and the individual states were essentially sovereign, but were just kind of associated, confederated with one another. And each individual state had its own constitution, and mostly these constitutions, or some of these constitutions, gave the people a lot of direct power with very weak executives, and, you know, a very, a lot of direct elections, a lot of of ability to recall and get rid of officials that the people didn't like, you know, things that were very, very democratic for the day. Many of the founders came to believe that these forms of government, the type that they saw in the 1780s during the period of the Articles of Confederation, was actually far too democratic. And they wanted the American Constitution to give less power to the people and more to the educated, virtuous ruling class who they believed were fit to rule, basically to people like them. So if you read what some of the leading um, founding fathers were saying during the 1780s about the Articles of Confederation, you can find all kinds of comments where they're very dismissive of the ability of the idea for the common person to know what's good for them when it comes to government. And that's why when they finally did come together, you know, to form the Constitution, they saw themselves as responding to this crisis that in their eyes was showing that the, the system that existed under the Articles of Confederation was making the state ungovernable, that basically there was an excess of democracy that was making it impossible to have any kind of rational politics or rational policy making. That's why the constitution, when they wrote it, didn't actually specify the voting rights of citizens. And it wasn't until 30 or 40 years later that most white men got the right to vote for the president. And this whole issue of democracy was tremendously divisive among the founders with a whole spectrum of different views. So again, you can't talk about any one one particular viewpoint on democracy among the founding generation. Another thing that the founders disagreed about a lot was foreign policy. So in fact, the 1790s, this period after the adoption of the Constitution, was one of the most divisive and polarized decades in American politics because of the extent of disagreement about this and other related issues. The basic debate was about whether America should be aligned more with Britain, which was kind of the global 
superpower of the late 18th century. It was obviously also the former imperial power um, in what became the United States. So should should the US side with Britain or should it side with France? Many Americans came to view France as sharing the same basic principles of America after the French Revolution. And in the 1790s, throughout the 1800s and the 1810s, Britain and France were locked in a war with one another. It for, for basically the mastery of Europe. So, you know, these are the Napoleonic Wars, the wars with the French Revolution. And America, as a very kind of weak post-colonial state, felt the need to take a side in this struggle. It had to basically pick one of these power blocks to align itself with so that it had somebody to trade with and it could seek the protection of that side against the other. When George Washington concluded a treaty with Britain in 1794, so rejecting the idea of an alliance with France and instead allying with Britain, the former colonial power, he was denounced vehemently throughout the country. His chief negotiator, the guy that he'd sent to Europe to negotiate this treaty, someone called John Jay, who was also a founder, was burned in effigy throughout the country so many times that he joked that he could travel from Boston to Philadelphia at night, guided solely by the light of the burning effigies. So you can see again these tremendous disagreements among the founding generation about really, really important issues. And Thomas Jefferson, who was the leader of the pro-France faction, what became known as the Democratic Republicans, which is kind of confusing for us because we're used to having Democrats and Republicans be opposing parties, but Jefferson's movement was called the Democratic Republicans. They believed that Washington and Hamilton were, you know, kind of part of this conspiracy to destroy American liberty by setting up a new tyrannical government at home and an alliance with a former imperial power, Britain, abroad. When Jefferson won the election in 1800 and became president, he later held that victory as a second revolution, saying that he'd saved the country from tyranny once more. So again, when you have evidence of such deep divisions and that one group of founders was saying, we saved the country from the other group who were going to destroy it and establish a tyranny, you can see that it's very difficult to talk about the generation and the lessons that we might derive from them in any kind of unified way. The final thing that really complicates this simplistic interpretation of the founders is the fact that many of them came to have very, very deep concerns about the future of the United States. So there's this great recent book about this called Fears of a Setting Sun by a historian called Dennis C. Rasmussen. I really recommend that book. What it shows is that contrary to them thinking that they'd erected a government which would endure unchanged for hundreds of years or thousands of years, Washington and Hamilton and Adams and Jefferson all in their own way came to view the Constitution as essentially having been a failure. So Washington thought that the emergence of different political factions, different political parties would doom it. That's a very, you know, to us a very strange thought because we completely take the existence of political parties for granted, but many of the founding generation were completely opposed to the idea of different political parties. They thought that you couldn't run a country when you divided people so starkly into these two opposing camps. So that was Washington's fear. Hamilton was concerned that the executive wasn't strong enough, so he was still kind of banging the drum for his elected king. He wanted a much more powerful presidency. Adams thought that the American people lacked the virtue that was needed to maintain a Republican form of government. He basically thought that a government in which the people have some power has to be one in which you have a very, very virtuous populace, very educated and civilized people who, you know, applied reason to questions of public policy and politics. And he worried that that was not America, that the people just didn't have that kind of virtue. So again, it was an anti-democratic 
realistic point of view. And perhaps most presently of all, Jefferson foresaw that the dispute over slavery would eventually tear the country apart. Jefferson was also famous for saying that each generation needed to have its own revolution and establish its own form of government, as was appropriate for itself. Certainly not every founder would have agreed with that, but they all saw that the constitution would need change from time to time, which is why they created a mechanism for it to be amended. No one was more aware of the role that specific historical circumstances played in the creation of America than this generation, and it's precisely why that generation understood that those circumstances could change and that government would need to change with it, rather than being based on immutable, timeless ideas and policies that you could keep for hundreds or thousands of years. That's a lesson that we really should keep for today, and it's why we should really avoid talking about the founders in any kind of unified way, and instead paying attention to the differences of opinion that existed among them, and how they themselves saw the experiment that they had created, the United States itself, as being something that would be tested and changed in the decades in the centuries to come. That's all for today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening to America Explained. I really hope you enjoyed it and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode and I look forward to speaking to you next time.